0: Warning, there will be spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie that we're discussing today, I suggest you stop the podcast and go watch it. Then when you come back and listen, you'll get more out of the discussion. This episode, we explore the 2003 adaptation of Stephen King's Dreamcatcher. All right, I'm Sebastian, and I'm here with Jennifer. Hello. And special guest Josh Miller. Hello Woo! Now for the audience at home, Josh Miller is a man of many talents. He uh, is one of the co-hosts on the uh, best movies Never made about uh, it's a really interesting podcast about the you know, famous stories of movies that almost got made or, or didn't or different versions of movies that didn't happen. He also started a, a Los Angeles film screening series with, I don't know, some loser <laughs> yes. who stopped doing it, basically. Some called, guy who moved to Oregon. Yeah, some, called Friday Night Frights. I would say that they are possibly uh, L.A.'s premier horror screening series. And uh, he uh, also,
1: Next month is the 10th anniversary, I should say.
0: Oh, nice. Can it's our 10th that? anniversary. Wow. Cool. What are you going to show for 10th anniversary? <laughs> yeah. Are you going to do anything? Uh,
1: I'm trying to figure out if there's a thing to do on the internet. That's the problem with COVID. I haven't yeah. been able to have a show since
0: February. Oh, maybe we can figure something out to do online. <laughs> um, he also, uh, is, along with Pat Casey, is one of the uh, co-writers of uh, several films and TV shows, but more, most recently, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, the hit, hit film. You know, I was thinking about it. With COVID, so few films have actually seen release this year, and Sonic uh, was released in theaters and was a big hit. What do you think your chances of winning an Oscar are? I mean, there's so little competition.
1: Yeah, the problem is critics did not like... Sonic is one of those classic critics. What? Critics didn't seem to hate it, but it was definitely... They were like, eh, we're not rotten, but I don't think we got enough to get like the officially fresh stamp on Rotten Tomatoes, but our oh. user Rotten Tomatoes is very high. Yeah. Um, so I feel like we would do good in like a People's Choice Awards sort yeah. of scenario.
0: I'm still holding out hope for you.
1: Best picture. Yeah.
2: You have our vote, we Josh. We loved it.
0: Yeah, we loved it.
1: Uh, I do, I I feel our award is my friends who will send me pictures from around the country when they'll be somewhere and there's still like a Sonic the Hedgehog billboard nice. up just because the world ended right, right after it came out. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think the Grove, the Grove movie theater here in L.A. still has a big Sonic poster up. It feels very post-apocalyptic. Totally, that's just- a
0: high honor, you know? It's like I Am Legend when they have the... Batman versus Superman movie up in the background. And the real apocalypse has Sonic the Hedgehog posters up in the background. That's awesome. Uh,
1: Or in my neighborhood here in Burbank uh, on my, when I would just go on a walk, my walking road, I would always walk past this elementary school. I think it's finally changed, but like for the first four or five months, of COVID, the like marquee, you know, some schools will have like a little marquee out front that'll have messages on it. And it just said like, Happy birthday, Vanessa Del Rio. And I'm like, Oh, that girl's gets to have a birthday for like five yeah. months.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the great thing about the apocalypse. Time yeah. freezes.
2: Over and over and over mm-hmm. again. <laughs>
0: Okay, well, now that the pleasantries are out of the way, <laughs> uh, we, are going, we are here to discuss uh, the 20, uh, 2003 film, Dreamcatcher, uh, based on a book by Stephen King and directed by Lawrence Kasdan of Empire Strikes Back and Raiders of the Lost Ark fame. He's mo- mostly known for being a writer. Josh, I know you're a Stephen King fan. What are your thoughts on Stephen King's later period?
1: Well, I will say I've come I've uh my friends and I started a what's called the Loser's Book Club. It's not specifically mm-hmm. a Stephen King book club, it's a horror literature club. But in part it was because even if you've read like nine Stephen King books, you've kind of barely made a dent yeah, yeah. in his overall bibliography. So we kind of wanted to read more. Uh and because of that, I've come around a little bit on his, I guess you would say, latter period. I mean now Yeah. Now, so much time has passed that it's almost his main period, really. Um, But just like growing up, I definitely I loved him, you know, in kind of middle school, junior high, early high school. I feel a lot of Stephen King fans have that in common. It's kind of the age you really got into him. And I don't know if it was I'm sure it was a little bit of a combo of his post sober sobriety maybe changed his writing style in subtle ways. I just wasn't into, and maybe the age I was hitting, but just, like, I wasn't into a lot of his 90s stuff. Yeah. Um, but now I would say, as far as things, I'd say Joyland is actually one of my favorite Stephen King novels. Hmm. But in our book club, we also read The Outsider, which the TV show is based on. I wouldn't say that...
0: Yeah, we watched the show. I wouldn't say
1: the novel's, like, great, like, The Shining great, but it's actually, it's a real cool book, and it's a very fun premise, uh, what else? We read another read from a Buick Eight, which is maybe my least favorite Stephen King novel, which was like right after Dreamcatcher. So yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, you know, he. It's kind of like when Woody Allen was making one movie a year. Yeah. Like most of them weren't good, but if you have talent and you just keep up that output, I feel like you're gonna get some good ones in there. And I feel like that's what I've kind. I guess. Short, long way of saying that's what I've realized about this kind of latter half of his life mm-hmm. um, is there's a lot of duds, but his writing output is so insane that he's just he's inevitably going to have some good ones in there, too. I know some people really love the I watched the miniseries and read the book Um and I feel like a bad history fan that I always forget the dates and the title of the book. But, you know, the Kennedy assassination. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah.
2: Whatever, eleven, twenty-two, sixty-three, was that? Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: Numbers are hard. <laughs> yeah, they are hard. I'm not a number brain person.
2: I've tried to read uh, some of the later works, and um, in particular, it was Bag of Bones that I kept mm-hmm. trying to read. Um, yeah. And I just I couldn't get into it like I could but part of it is there's two things one first Josh I am inspired by your willingness to keep going back and and hoping because he is so prolific (laughs) that something will show up because I'm like maybe I should you know try a little more because with like with bag of bones and just me in general as a reader um, if I don't love it like I'm a binge reader like if I love something and Sebastian seen me do this. It's like I can't stop. Like I'll I'll probably finish the book in a day or two. If I don't have that, then I'll it's really hard for me to keep going. And with Bag of Bones in particular, I just remember because my mama given me the hardcover. It's a big book and it's really nice. It's on my shelf, I think, still, or in the in storage somewhere. But I um I just kept going back to it and I would like, uh, I'm gonna try this again. And then I couldn't even remember what I had read and I'd have to like start over again and it just wasn't um I don't know. It just wasn't wasn't doing it for me. But I have really enjoyed. Like we we didn't read The Outsider, but we really loved the the series on HBO. It was great, and I loved Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three. Like I was super yeah. into it. Um, I thought it was so well done. His
1: ideas are so good. Yeah, which is part yeah. of why he works so well for adaptations. is because there's actually a lot of room. For improvement. I'm never another one. Uh I liked Doctor Sleep. I don't it, I don't yeah. like it as a sequel to The Shining, but if you just yeah. divorce Same. I if you think of it as like an X-Men movie almost, like yeah. that's what it it felt more like to me reading the book. And I thought that I thought it had some real cool again, so just good ideas. Yeah. And his short stories are still pretty good too, actually.
0: I uh read I actually listened to the audiobook of uh of uh, Bag of Bones. And enjoyed it well enough. It worked as an audiobook. And I read Dr. Sleep. We had a podcast about it, so we sort of talked about it. But uh, I thought Do- Dr. Sleep was okay. Uh, I, I, I will say that I don't think that his writing has suffered. His writing is still really strong. Um, his prose is still really great. And, yeah, as you said, his ideas are still there. I think it's more just – and this is a, a thing that happens with a lot of uh, creators who – become very very successful is nobody tells them to cut stuff out and so I think there's just a there's just too much
1: yeah that's what I was gonna say I mean his books have always been pretty long pretty much after Carrie uh they like immediately become like 400 500 page novels but I, I also still feel kind of in the first 10 years not counting the stand or it 10 years of his career I mean they still kind of feel a little bit more economical. Yeah. Um, and that, that's part of what I really, from View 8, is a, again, cool idea, would have made a great short story. I'm just yeah. like, why is this like, not only why is this a novel, why is this a 500 page novel? Like,
0: you haven't read Dreamcatcher, have you?
1: No, but it's funny, Pat, my writing partner, uh, reminded me that the reason we... I say the reason we saw the movie is though we wouldn't have seen it anyway. Mm -hmm. I I, I see any Stephen King thing, especially at that age. Um, We were in college, I think, so what else were we doing? Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, that one of our friends, or my friends at college, was obsessed with the book and thought the book was amazing. Uh Um, And so he was really excited about the movie. And on paper... The movie seems like it's going to be great. It's Stephen King written by William Goldman. Yeah. Lawrence Kasdan, you said is more famous for a writer. Um, And granted it leading up to that, he'd made a lot of like kind of mediocre sort of like boomer, you know, indie movies, but he also directed like big chill, not big chill. Um, I mean, he directed that. I don't love that, but he directed um, body heat. Wait, is that the one? Yeah, the oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. And Silverado, which is another. So I loved Silverado as a kid yeah um so I was, I was like oh this movie how can it go wrong
2: two things one is like i was we were both hoping we're like well maybe josh read the book because <laughs> i i got this wild idea like on i think was it during the first watch yes i was like i i, I i'm gonna read the book and and sub's so like you know there's not enough time and i looked it up and it's like 600 something pages and i was like oh I guess I'm not. Yeah, that wasn't going to happen. I hope Josh read the book. He reads a lot of Stephen King's. I was just, I have questions. I have questions.
1: I think we can be encouraged by the fact that I believe Stephen King has essentially disowned the book
0: uh huh, <laughs>
1: because he wrote it in the hospital after he got hit by a truck. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, a guy who got sober. It's maybe the only thing he's written since getting sober while he was on drugs because he was on painkillers and stuff
0: and you can tell
1: that maybe makes certain elements of the book yeah because i think the movie is essentially i think it's fairly faithful at least to the the story beats i'm sure again my friend from college loved the book thought the movie was horrible so there's some some quality to the book um that clearly did not
2: translate to the
1: movie i mean it's just stephen king's voice
0: Jen, did you see the movie when it came out in theaters? You didn't, right?
2: No, I did not, um, okay. and that's what I was—I was trying to figure out. I couldn't remember exactly when this came out. And It was 2003, and it was—I just wasn't. I was at a point in my life where I was working a lot and and partying a lot and stuff, and I, I just wasn't seeing as much horror as I started seeing again just a few years later in the theater. Like, if this would have come out in like 2005 or 2006, I would have definitely seen it because I was seeing all kinds of things in the theater and that would like all kinds of horror particularly and that that i would have seen it for sure but no i did not see it in the theater
0: i did not see it in the theater either but i was working at cinephile video at the time cinephile was sort of a hipster video store in west la it's still there i believe great selection of movies um and uh i did not see it when it came out but i remember when it came out because a friend of ours brett berg i believe saw it And we had a category of movie uh, at the store (laughs) called Holy Fucking Shit. Yes. And Brett excitedly came into the store, having seen it, and he was like, I saw Dreamcatcher. It is a holy fucking shit. So as soon as it came out on uh, DVD, we all got together and drank a bunch and smoked a bunch (laughs) and watched it and were blown away.
1: The one genuinely... uh positive thing i can say about it is that it's always exciting to me when a studio for some reason i guess again clearly it was stephen king and they got william goldman to agree to write it
0: how did that happen but whatever they just, yeah
1: they just <laughs> threw money at him i guess that's what yeah. i'm saying it's like a, a a movie that this insane like this is it's like a frank hennenlotter level of just <laughs> like absurd inappropriate ideas and they spent like 70 million dollars on it and this was in you know 2002 dollars yeah so that would have been that would have been like spending a 100 million dollars on it now
0: yeah and it made like a fraction of that so it was definitely a giant flop which uh is kind of surprising when you consider the pedigree and everything but
1: i mean I, i think it definitely i think it was well first it was his wyatt Earp movie but then with this I think that pretty much killed Lawrence Kasdan's. I mean he he directed other movies after that but they're all very small movies. Yeah. Um I think this killed his chance to give a studio to let us have a studio give him some real money to make something.
0: Yeah, he said he this movie broke him basically. <laughs> he he was really depressed with the critical response, which I have to wonder did he, did he watch the movie? (laughs) Like, what did he think the critical response was going to be? I mean, I don't want to get ahead of us as far as talking
1: about the movie, but there's, there's definitely several things, more than even just several, many, many, many things in the movie where, you know, it's hard to know how a movie's necessarily going to turn out when you're like in the mix, but I do feel there's a level of like, weird dumb ideas where it's hard to imagine being on set and not being like i don't know about like is this basically every second donnie Wahlberg's on screen right i'm just like how could you have been in the room and thought like (laughs) audiences are gonna love this
2: (laughs) or was it just like you know it was either completely unaware or was it just like that yeah, this it'll be okay. Yeah, it's gonna work out. Once the once the film, it's gonna it's gonna all play out. It'll, it'll be fine. They'll they'll love it. <laughs> they'll love it. <laughs> I feel like it was either one or the other. Like completely like not high on their own supply, and, like not seeing it at all. Well, I was
1: also trying to think of while watching it because I feel like a lot of times you'll get these sort of baffling disaster sort of movies but you realize they're like on the heels of some other successful similar movie where everyone was like especially like in the wake of star wars that's where you get all these kind of like bad expensive sci-fi movies but it was because everyone had convinced themselves like well just remember how everyone thought star wars was going to be a disaster like all the executives and other studios were just like this is the stupidest idea i've ever heard i can't believe they're spending so much money on it, but I couldn't really figure out what Dreamcatcher could have been compared to as far as it, like, immediately preceding it.
0: The only thing I can possibly think of is that they were riding some sort of wave after the Green Mile on Stephen King properties, and maybe they thought with the alien element they would get some of that independence day heat or something i have no idea
1: green mile is also a movie that when i rewatched that i was just like woof there's a lot of yeah swings and misses in here but that one does make sense because that's very much you're like yeah it's like the shawshank redemption right uh it's more stephen king in prison and that movie mostly suffers from i think the fact that it was super faithful to a serialized novel Like that would have been a good like Netflix limited series like Queen's Gambit or something, but it's just, as a movie, I just felt like it had so many emotional starts and stops. Uh, And it was so long. Way long.
2: I did see that in the theater. I remember that. That was, yeah. All
0: right. Well, are we ready to move on to the film itself? Let's do it. Do it. Okay. So this movie starts off right away. You know, you're in for a weird time because the opening scene um, or at least one of the, the opening scenes is uh, where we get uh, Thomas Jane's character who is a therapist and he's, you know, on the therapist couch with his, his uh, patient. And the patient is going on this rant about Carl's Jr. How much he loves Carl's Jr.
1: Ranting about Carl's Jr. And uh, it has like a, a very, like, 80s sex comedy juvenile fat guy joke where the guy uh-huh. breaks the yes. therapist couch when he's, right. like, getting up. <laughs> yes. After Tom Jane's, like, fucking with him. Uh, yeah. For Opening scenes are very much like a statement, and I'm not sure what the statement this was making right. for the movie at large.
0: Well, in screenwriting, as you know, Josh, or you, I'm sure you've heard... You know, a lot of times they say your opening scene should be like a microcosm of your whole story. And if that's the case,
1: (laughs) I mean, I I guess it's accurate in that sense. Yeah, because then he immediately decides that he's going to, like, shoot himself, even though he Uh doesn't seem remotely depressed in the scene. Right. In fact, he actually seems very it's almost like I would compare it the level of enjoyment he's having fucking with this guy. It's like Bill Murray and, you know, this opening scene of Ghostbusters where he's hitting on the girl <laughs> during the like telepathy test or whatever they're doing <laughs> and fucking yeah. with the
0: poor unfortunate other guy. I felt kind of bad for Thomas Jane. I feel like as far as actors are concerned of, of the, say, six main actors, the marquee names, I feel he's, Aside from Donnie Wahlberg, who I wouldn't consider a marquee name, he acquits himself the most poorly. Um, He kind of seems lost, like he doesn't know how to play it. And I think, you know, to your point, you know, every every character kind of gets their thing. You know, like Damian Lewis has his memory warehouse and Timothy Oliphant is a drunk who's...
1: Well, he's got the finger thing, too, Timothy Oliphant.
0: Right, he's got the finger thing. And... uh beaver jason lee beaver has his weird vernacular and 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 his toothpicks (laughs) yeah they all have like a thing and i feel like Thomas Jane's thing is that he's suicidal, and yeah, you know, it doesn't, and it doesn't really work. The
2: suicidal thing is like also it kind of you know maybe he's drawing a little bit. F- f- well, I guess well because King wrote it, so no. But I mean, it that's kind of that's the whole crux of the big chill is they get together because their friend killed themselves or whatever. I
1: mean, the opening is it's also very confusing because I couldn't you know it'd been so long because I I saw it in the theater and then I watched it again right before. It podcast so i couldn't quite remember what the deal was with damian lewis's character because i remembered the like kind of split version of him Mm -hmm. but then i was like watching it again i'm like oh so he dies in the opening and then he's like imaginary in the rest of the movie and when they first show him again when they cut to them up at the cabin i'm like ah yes he's imaginary but then everyone's talking to him and then i realized Wait, he just didn't die when he got horribly hit by that car, <laughs> but they like ex- I feel like they explain that he didn't die so much later in the movie, unless I missed it. Correct me if no. I'm wrong.
2: No, and that whole the whole scene I actually was like my mind was just trying to wrap itself around like the scene where he does almost die where he's cro- in the beginning where he's crosses out into Okay, first of all, the traffic. Like what what street is this? Like i like the, <laughs> What have you? ever I mean, we've we've all lived in major cities. I don't recall ever that. that That's insane. But he yeah. he says later that, you know, um, and I hope we're not jumping around. Seb, yeah, go ahead. Uh, but, you go know, that, that he sees Duddits that was beckoning him to to cross the street. And I was like naked,
0: naked in his but mostly naked in his underpants. In his well, the, a way, little boy. The, the
2: way that but they wait. the way that they found but that's him not in the
1: scene, though, is it? No, no, okay. it's in his. It's in yeah. his.
2: He's when he's retelling it later. That that's what because he's standing there with with a with someone on the street, and he says, "What did you say?" And the guy's like, "I didn't say anything." And it's because Duddits is, I guess, beckoning or calling out to him across the street. But obviously, no one else is seeing I don't know that. Why
1: they wouldn't show that? Since that also, you know, it was supposed to be mysterious and intriguing, and that also would have been mysterious <laughs> and well, intriguing. Yeah. I also love that it has. Uh, I showed a. A supercut that was made partially from something I found on YouTube, and then I added more to it of uh, like very late '90s kind of all of the aughts movie trope after they you know invented computer graphics which is the bit of someone walking out into a street and then just getting like CG hit <laughs> yeah, by yeah. a car. That was a, a real thing around oh, this man. time. <laughs> yeah. They were movies were obsessed with it. Meet yeah. Joe black yes. having one of the funnier ones
2: where he gets like yeah. ping, Brad Pitt gets ping pong past several cars. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, but what I was like really struggling with later is that I'm like, well, because he even says he was like Duddits wouldn't want when he's recounting this at the cabin. He says to Thomas Jane like Duddits loves us. I know he would never want to hurt any of us. And I was like, then why was he getting you out in the street? Like, was Duddits trying to? Well, it's like oh, it's part of some master plan. Yes. And I'm like what though? <laughs> How
1: yeah. did that help anything?
2: So he didn't have to deal with Mister Gray. I I don't I don't know I don't know what the like pl- I, I I wanted. That's when I was like I need to read the book. I need to know what well, this plan was.
0: Since we're touching upon Duditz, let's touch upon the whole flashback element of the film, which is one of the most bald-faced rip-offs of his own work yeah. that I've ever seen. It's look, So Stand By Me sort of sets the template, of or, or yep. the body, the, the short story, The Body, sets the template of these kids growing up in a small town and They get caught up in some sort of thing and it bonds them together. And there's usually a bully element. Then we get it, which really takes that to the next level, turns it into this epic where they come back many years later. And then there's Dreamcatcher where we just get this idea again so we can set up the magical um, mentally challenged. Is that the right?
1: It's very much like he was like, you know what? I wish I'd put in it was that they all got superpowers after they defeated Pennywise the first time. Right. So then in the, the the adult portion of the book, they they they're all psychic, <laughs> and, but in weird, slightly different ways too.
0: Well, and so the title of the story is Dreamcatcher, and the reason it's called Dreamcatcher is because. The Power That Duddits who is a mentally challenged young boy the who they these four friends save from some bullies. Duddits teaches them basically or gives them magical powers and their magical power is they swirl their fingers in the air and it forms a sort of dream catcher that then leads them to danger where they can help people is there
1: and i think that's only timothy oliphant can do
2: yes and but they all can like they all have the the shinning they all have the shine and they can all like hear each other's thoughts and communicate with each other again i don't know how that relates to a dream catcher
1: also what's i mean we 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 highlighted the toothpick as far as a visual thing but it's funny just thinking back on the movie yeah tom jane has his uh Carl's Jr. fat guy suicide. Damian Lewis has his weird uh CG car accident. Timothy Oliphant. I, I, maybe it's just that we're now post Me Too, but a weird intro where he uses his powers to help a woman find her keys, right? So is like creepy. really pressuring her into going on a date with him, and like the, the best fried
0: clams in Maine.
1: Yeah, and the fact that she's like, "Uh, sure," and then like, "I'll meet you there," and drives away. It's it's. We're like supposed to feel bad for him and I'm like, you, dude, don't use your psychic powers to right. take women on and- fried clam dates." But what was but my point was, what was Jason Lee's scene? He's like drinking in a bar and then what happens? I, I already forgot.
2: He goes outside, I think, and and gets on and gets on the payphone and like calls I think he calls uh Damian, uh I mean uh Jonesy, and then he's Jonesy. like and he says something like Oh, never mind. I know you're you're in a hurry to get home to see Trish or something. Maybe he was supposed to be calling him to like get him to not walk out into traffic or something. I'm not I'm not sure. Much
0: less memorable memorable scene. <laughs> right. To Josh's point, it's not really a memorable setup which is strange because i feel that jason lee's character is arguably next to jonesy is arguably the more most memorable character he yeah. got, he has a lot of ticks he's got the toothpick thing but he also the he, he keeps saying fuckaroo a fuckaro
1: very stephen kingy kind of
0: Oh, so Stephen King. Yeah, and fuck me, Freddy. He's got all these sayings, and, and he's he sort of has... He's
1: prime Jason Lee, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. Like, not that I don't like him anymore or anything, but I just feel like that that period kind of... Uh, and then My Name is Earl was able to really capitalize on it, and maybe that was part of the problem. Then it kind of mainstreamed yeah. Jason Lee a little too much, but, like, this kind of the mall rats up through my name is Earl. I always loved all his performances. He had that kind of great snarky delivery of everything. It was
2: the time of Jason Lee. That's what I was saying. I was like, this was, this was the time. It's also
1: weird too, looking at the cast. Cause like now the cast, you're like, ah, yes, this notable cast, but I had to kind of, you know, dial back the years in my brain. And probably cause who knows where all the money went on this movie. And I'm like, Looking at it, and I'm like, oh, very clearly, they did not have money to spend on the cast after like Morgan Freeman, basically. Because, like, Tom Jane, I mean, what? He was coming off of Deep Blue Sea. Like, he wasn't right. famous. Timothy Oliphant was in Scream 2.
0: Yeah, he was not, he had not had Deadwood yet.
1: This was the first thing I ever saw Damien Lewis in. I think this was maybe yeah. after Band of Brothers, but I didn't see that till years later on. And he was one of like, you know, 50 people in Panda Brothers. Um, And Jason, Jason Lee was actually maybe the, and he wasn't even famous or anything. He was probably in this because he was in the Lawrence Kasdan movie Mumford. That is not really a remembered film at this point. Nope. No, <laughs> but the point being, uh, but they all went on like Timothy Olymphan was somebody I did not get at first. I was just like, I don't understand why they keep putting this guy. things until like Deadwood and then I was like oh yeah once
0: he became a cowboy
1: yeah now he plays a marshal in everything he's ever in even if it's the Mandalorian (laughs) Yep.
2: I really like um a perfect getaway oh yeah that was one of the movies that really turned me around on him actually it wasn't long after this I think it was a couple years later maybe I think a perfect getaway was
1: but I enjoyed him in this more now 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 that whatever Olafant switch was flipped in my head and I'm a fan I was like, yeah, he's fun in this too. Minus is weird. I feel like he's supposed to be like a pathetic loser who can't get chicks, which is always a mistake when you can't like cast a handsome, charming person. I'm like, is he like a loser? I don't get it. No one feels sorry for that guy. He's a psychic and he works as a used car salesman or something.
0: Yeah, there's just too many things, and he's a drunk. So there's there's just too many hats on hats on hats with him. His whole his character just seems like a mess of ideas, and it's like just pick one. Either he's a (laughs) drunk, you know, he drinks too much, or he's a creep, or you know, just figure out something to do with him. And I feel like they did not.
1: Although he does claim that he only drinks this much when they're on their cabin trip. Right. Whether or not that's true, I don't know.
0: Well, he drank a lot because yeah. <laughs> he even went back to the car for his beer For his
2: bag of beer. <laughs> but,
0: yeah. But, I, I mean, I do think that for the most part, the characters, as uneven as the performances are at points, you know, that the one scene where they're all together in the cabin, they have a nice rapport and they sort of exchange catchphrases and in jokes, I think effectively enough. If anything,
1: I was kind of bummed out as far as things that work in the movie, like then they immediately break them all up.
0: And at the end, they like just toss in this random flashback of them sitting around the table as the credits. It's the weirdest thing not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but I feel like they knew they had something there and they didn't use it. Yeah. So they're like, well, let's throw a little bit into the end of them hanging out. I
2: think that's actually like, and I have this in my notes even because after watching it twice, I've definitely felt the same way both times. Is that I, I feel like that's the, one of the strongest things in the film. Actually, is the relationship between the guys. Like I, I wanted to see a lot more of that, and even yes. even the younger versions too. Like I, I thought they, I thought they were pretty well cast. They look enough like.
0: Uh, I have a lot. Of, they felt like Canadian. I mean, no offense to the kids. You know, I don't ever blame. No Offense to Canadians. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't blame kids for not being great in movies, but they, they seemed very. Canadian and they, they were all right. The, the kid, I don't know. The kid playing Jason Lee did his best, but he, I don't know.
1: <laughs> I also in- initially couldn't really figure out who was who because they didn't remind me at all. Yeah. Of the adult versions. but watching this movie is funny because I watched this after we did on a best movies, never made podcast. We did unmade versions of it. And obviously one of the big things, and that was always the uh, trying to do it all as one movie. And Dreamcatcher, I feel, really highlights uh, that it just won't work. Like, I didn't... And that's kind of not, again, to get far ahead of ourselves, but part of what really fails emotionally in Dreamcatcher is that the whole end of the movie is supposed to be this, like, big emotional payoff to the flashback stuff. I did not care
0: about any
1: of the, like, flashback things.
0: Not at all.
1: What was going on with them then. Uh, And I think that would have been the same problem with It. Like, you kind of... If you really want to invest in the kids, you have to tell the full story.
2: You have to be able to spend more time with them.
1: And I bet I can imagine in the novel of Dreamcatcher, um, even though he disowned it. And I'm sure it's just as crazy. If nothing else, I bet, you know, you're spending more time in the past and then maybe care more about how that ties in with the present. I don't know.
0: It doesn't help that nothing particularly compelling happens in the past. Duditz is getting bullied. They they save him from the bullies. They befriend him. He gives them magic powers. And they save a little girl from a drain pipe. Like, that's that's all that really happens. We don't get any of their family life. We don't get anything from, you know, even of their friendship other than these three incidents. So... It really suffers. You don't care at all. And it feels
1: very them. like phony Hollywood, too. Yes. Like, I don't buy anything about any of the kids,
2: you know. That's what I'm, I'm
0: saying. They seem like Canadian central oh, casting, good.
2: you
0: know. <laughs> Jen, anything to add about the kids? You want to rush to their defense?
2: I'm not going to rush their defense. I just didn't. I guess I didn't have the issues that, that you do. All
0: I'm saying
1: is they need to be killed.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we needed to spend more time with them. Um, and I do think the, two, the the kid that was Timothy Oliphant and the kid that was Jason Lee, you could definitely tell it was those two. Yeah. The yeah, other two kids two. Were, were very confusing. I, I can't keep Henry and Jonesy apart, except for I think one of them kind of had, but they kind of both had reddish hair, sort of.
0: Henry, I'm pretty sure Henry was the kid who sort of had a big round head and lots of thick blonde <laughs> yeah. hair. Pretty sure that was supposed to be so Henry, that, Yes, so
2: that was a, you know, a little weak. He did
0: not capture any of Thomas Jane's essence.
1: And one of them was like the fastest kid alive, but that I was feel Pete. like that had nothing to do with anything in the present did no it?
2: no no he no. wasn't running anywhere he paid
1: off where he had to run, run?
2: fast. he could have yeah. ran off of the the you know ran away from the um snowmobile or something i don't know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> something how
1: amazing would it have been if they'd pulled an it and they'd done the first movie that's about them getting psychic powers and like solving murders like you know <laughs> the scooby-doo gang and then the second movie is this, is nonsense, this crazy shit crap? weasel, alien, <laughs> Morgan Freeman stuff.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there was any way to turn this into something as <laughs> successful as it.
1: What you're saying though is that Mike Flanagan should do a limited series Netflix remake. I would <laughs> Absolutely.
0: love to see. I'm him here try. for it. I would love to see him try. If anybody could fix it. It's fine it, again. Plan
1: That's again. what I wish Dr. Sleep was. I wish they had taken the exact same cast, yeah. the same amount of money, and just done it as like a four to five to six episode Netflix series.
0: Yeah. All right. So we're at the cabin and the we we're hanging out with the gang and you know Beaver's talking about the blow job he got the night before. And um, they split up. There's this... Damien Lewis goes out hunting and they split up uh, uh, Henry and uh, Pete go off in the SUV. Not sure why, I think just to go get supplies or something. But um, this hunter comes out of the woods and he's a little bit worse for wear. So uh, Damien Lewis invites him into the house and Jason Lee shows up and the guy starts farting like crazy so we enter into this period of the movie where <laughs>
1: the fart-based section
0: fart fart-based horror basically and <laughs> it, it, it's really really strange because you know farts typically are used for comedic purposes and they are they, they're doing that here but then it leads to this scene which i think is definitely the scene that everybody remembers from the movie, right? Yes. Shit weasel. Yeah. The toilet scene. Like Josh, when you saw this movie in the theater the first time, what was you can you remember what your reaction to this was?
1: I mean, the movie had already been like, I was just like, the whole movie is like, what is, what are these choices they're making? <laughs> uh, I was not prepared. Well, for one thing, it was coupled with the genuinely, I mean, the shit wheels was gross, but like genuinely, like, made my skin crawl. Like, pe- when things are wrong with people's skin, like in mm-hmm. kind of a diseasey way, that always gets me in movies. And that the hunter guy had like the weird kind of red moss that would just be on him. And yeah. then when they go in the bathroom and there's just like the red moss everywhere was real gross but uh yeah i was n- i was not prepared for just the idea of the shit weasel but also how immediately like super violent and effective the shit weasels attacks are cuz i think like instantly doesn't it like bite off jason lee's like fingers yes yeah i was <laughs> like wow this movie uh took a real sharp left turn into whatever new direction this is
0: yeah and there's this whole sequence where uh, Damian Lewis Jonesy runs out to the shed because he's going to get some duct tape or whatever to tape down the toilet in which the shit weasels, wh- which have been deposited by the hunter who's now dead, and there's this really gross shot of, like, his bloody asshole, yeah. basically, yeah. <laughs> which is really, really nasty. So there's this whole suspense sequence, which was is kind of amazing because it's so just on-its-face ridiculous. Jason Lee has dropped all of his toothpicks in onto like the bloody bathroom, yeah, the shit floor. The shit floor. Damian Lewis, I guess, doesn't know that he's obsessive compulsive. His friend is obsessive compulsive, so he doesn't bother to be. Don't they know everything about each other? Give him a frigging toothpick. You know he's gonna freak out without his toothpicks. But no, he leaves them there, and so Jason Lee's like. Yeah, and Jason Lee's like, oh, I gotta get my toothpicks. I gotta get my toothpicks as this shit worm monster is like ramming at the toilet seat to get out.
1: I feel like, I wonder if that made more sense both in the novel and maybe even, it's funny because this movie's so long, but you can tell that it was even longer and they were just chopping out things that we probably (laughs) needed to see to understand. Because I'm like, because, again, the only thing I remember about his unmemorable opening scene we were talking about earlier is he does this weird thing where he takes a shot of whiskey without With the taking tooth his toothpick, toothpick yeah. out. So I feel like the idea was that he's got, yeah, like OCD. Like he's got some, like, real emotional th- problems going on that he needs to have this toothpick. But there's also so much of the movie where he doesn't have a toothpick. Like, it's it's really unmotivated. It's bizarre.
0: Yeah, I mean, if they had set it up that, oh, he absolutely loses his shit if he doesn't have his toothpick, and the toothpicks are the only thing keeping him tethered to sanity, but all you get is that he likes toothpicks. Uh, Yeah,
1: As it is, what it it made me think of, I was like, this would have been a great Mr. Bean routine, (laughs) you know, where he's supposed to be holding something down, but he's just like, ooh, but I really want this cupcake, you know, or
2: whatever. (laughs) Totally.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Totally,
2: totally. One thing I was thinking about, Watching this two times. I have to keep mentioning that we saw this twice recently in a few days. So it's very <laughs> fresh in my mind.
1: Really upsetting. <laughs> I was super
2: fans, I guess now. No, I, I think it was established. And I, and this is something that I did like that. I appreciated that they were able to, you know, these four guys, like from youth until now, like for whatever their flaws are, they're carrying people like, cause that's, you know, he's like, you know, immediately sees this hunter And and, but one thing was a little weird is with with um, with Jonesy, his like his carrying of like, hey, buddy, let's uh, get you inside the house was just a little creepy. I don't know. There was something weird about that, (laughs) even though I know it's like they're supposed to be this genuinely like helpful dudes, which I I appreciate. I'm like, good. We need more good, helpful dudes in in the world and cinema everywhere. But so he brings them in or whatever. And then, yeah, the the fart fest. I'm 12, so I'm laughing hysterically because it's (laughs) it's hilarious.
1: Well, you're also not. Ex- you don't expect a seventy million dollar like A-list studio movie to have that. Uh, like that was like blazing saddles level <laughs> of just nonstop fart. I don't even call them a joke. Just like so much farting, yeah. so much. Yeah, farting. it
0: starts off funny and then just gets weird, and then <laughs> yes. I think you're supposed to be terrified.
2: Yes, they're supposed to be fear fear farts. I don't know, but yeah, the the bathroom scene is just disgusting i was super frustrated with 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 how long it was taking jonesy to get this tape and fumbling around in the shed and and the toothpicks and and all of it but yeah it's it's just gross and it totally takes like takes a turn like this is when i mean in 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 just a few moments it's going to take an even bigger turn yeah it's just things kind of really this is when it starts to derail
0: uh well so what happens is the monster's break or the the sort of eel-like creature breaks free of the toilet. And my memory of this eel monster was that it was really poor CG. And weirdly, upon re-watching it, and I think it's because I
1: had the same memory.
0: And I, I upon rewatching it, I actually was like, oh, it's fine. It's it's CG clearly, but I remembered thinking it was terrible and it's actually not. I think it might have to do with the fact that The CG in The Mist, which is another Mm -hmm. Stephen King adaptation with Thomas Jane, which I really like. However, one of the problems with that movie is that the CG in it is really weirdly terrible. And I think I was equating the CG in that with this because there's sort of these tentacle things in that movie. But... I actually thought the worm creature looked pretty good for CG two thousand era.
2: Yeah, I was fine with you it. Know? No um,
0: complaints
1: now.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I actually kind of thought it was effective. What was not effective mm-hmm. was the Mister Gray alien that <laughs> forms. I guess. And okay, so here we, we got to talk through this. <laughs> I have a real problem with the alien mythology life cycle of these creatures. What is going on? Like, are they worms? Are they like blobby Mr. Gray aliens? At one point, you know, we see them and they sort of turn into both. Like, Josh, do you have any take on this?
1: No. And I will say, I didn't read the novel, but I did skim through. It's like Wikipedia summary. And based on that, I think that is not, I think in the novel, they don't have the element that a full-sized alien appears in their cabin, uh, which... Like a
0: humanoid. It's a, it's a big humanoid. It's big, Obviously, in my mind, Mr. Gray is a reference to the famous gray aliens, which are supposedly the aliens that people who see aliens see or a type of aliens that people who see aliens see. So... I'm assuming that that's what Mr. Gray is sort of supposed to be a version of that, but it's also this sort of giant, um, blobby sort of creature. It looks terrible,
2: it looks so terrible that I actually turned to Sebastian and said, Because I am not the sci fi fan of the family, as, as I, I watch some sci fi, but he watches sci fi all the time, and I just said this looks really bad. Am I, I mean, like, is this bad to you? Because I'm like, this is, this is, this is terrible.
0: She basically was like, is this what sci-fi is? <laughs> and I said, no, darling. No. No. This is not sci-fi. This I is not what I just wanted sci-fi to make sure is. that
2: you and uh, everyone else thought that this was an, as unacceptable as I did. Because I was, I was here for the worm. <laughs> the worm was like, okay, fine, whatever. We're, we're doing this and it's gross and it's like it's all over the place. And then to have like this badly formed version of like the typical like I've seen an alien type thing. Like... <laughs> like from unsolved mysteries or something it was i I don't know i just i i was that that's when i was like oh i'm you lost me
1: well there is no real consistency because then they imply like just moments later really i feel that that's not even their real form they have some whole other form like well, what does this mean are they tricking us into thinking that's what we're seeing but in that scene you're talking about which is why I think that is different than the novel because I don't think Stephen King would have done something that made no sense it's like they're going from like a weird mist into like a solid yeah. shape like yeah right. the mechanics of how they work are nonsensical like it's magic it's not even it's not even alien stuff
0: right
2: it's the red mold dust stuff or whatever because the the worm like breaks into like all you see all that like red particles floating around And then Uh all of a sudden it's Mr. Gray and it's the cheesy Monsters TV serial show monster. (laughs) Uh Like, yeah, I just, and or maybe it's like, maybe it's supposed to be that like we, uh, with our human eyes, like that's all we can take in. Like we can't handle what they really look like.
0: I don't know. I I think shit weasels is pretty bad. I mean, you know. (laughs) You don't need to get any worse. They
1: show us what they really look like later. Again, I don't want to necessarily get, jump too far ahead, but we show them where they're in their Mr. Greys, and then they, right. s- they turn back No, but back then into, they sort of
0: turn back into worms. Yes. So even like then, it's not shit. clarified. Yeah, it, yeah,
2: and they like go right up into the spacecraft. They fit into it.
0: Well, let's talk about, because it, it's pertinent to what sort of happens here, the memory warehouse idea. Now, Jonesy, who is becomes our sort of main antagonist uh, played by Damian Lewis has in his mind a place where he stores all his memories. And they have this conversation in the cabin about, oh, you didn't throw away blue by you, which is another like painfully Stephen King idea (laughs) that one that these kids in the nineties love Roy Orbison songs and comfort mentally challenged children with it. Um, But so uh, Jonesy has a memory warehouse. This idea will resurface in Dr. Sleep. Uh, You can consult our previous podcast where we talk about the memory warehouses and that used better in Dr. Sleep, I would argue. With the lock Um,
1: boxes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, no, they actually have their scenes with actual like a very similar to this where it's a warehouse. Um, But so Jonesy is possessed by an alien and he sort of re- he retreats into his memory warehouse. Specifically, he and this even gets confusing because he goes into a room in his memory where he's like in the cabin or something and he can look through the window and see what's going on. And it's the same shit, different day room. <laughs> um.
1: <laughs> I mean, I like the idea. I'm not remembering what parts you're talking about of Dr. Sleep as well. With uh, Abra and stuff, right? Yeah, Yeah. Uh, I like the idea of it, and it's fun to have... Yeah, the idea that Mr. Gray took him over, but because they have this special psychic power, he's, like, still in there somewhere. And he's, like, the memories about Dunnits that Mr. Gray's trying to get Jonesy's, like, able to keep in his extra special office area. I mean, again, it's all... It's so weird. I wouldn't say it's nonsense, because it, that at least you can follow. I was never confused yeah. by the mechanics of how it worked. And I mean, and like also when I saw this, I didn't know that Damian Lewis was English. Yeah. And and to Jen, I think something you were saying before, like, I think his accent's very good and he's played American parts very well in other things.
0: He sounds like a member of Monty Python. But
1: sometimes like when british actors are doing an american accent it's like there's still even if the accent's good there's like some odd like unnatural quality about his performance and that's how i feel about the character of jonesy but I remember at the uh-huh. time being really impressed by this guy's fake English accent. I should have known that he was actually English.
0: <laughs> but I don't think that that accent he's doing when he's Mr. Gray is his English accent. No, I but, think he's you know, doing the, an exaggerated. It's easier,
1: I think, when you're English right. to do other English sure. specific accents. I don't know. That, that's a, that's actually a part of the movie that I felt I wouldn't say it was successful, but uh, right. I was I was able to lock into that subplot better than. <laughs> Some of the other ones like Thomas Jane, who's basically our main he's basically our hero for the whole movie. I kind of just like stopped caring about everything that was happening with him.
2: Well, first of all, I, I do want to say I really do love the memory warehouse as well. And it's the in it's Abra has like a little um in Dr. Sleep. She has like the file cabinets, but then Rose has like the cathedral, which is much more grand and has like card catalogs. And that's what the memory mar- warehouse reminded me more of um so yeah I think that totally worked as well I don't have any problems with with that part um what gets me every time that I watch the film and I just enjoy it so much is uh Jonesy first gets taken over by Mr. Gray and he's on the (laughs) snowmobile and he does like this turn to the side
0: snap (laughs) move with his head where suddenly he's like smiling maniacally it's pretty amazing
2: it's it's I, yeah, I could watch that on repeat for a little while. Why is Mister Great English? Is there it any? It makes
0: no sense at all. Why would he be English? Just because? Just because Damian Lewis is English and can do that?
1: I do wonder what it is in the book.
0: I wouldn't surprise me if it was in the book, though.
1: I mean, he was also whacked out of his mind on yeah. painkillers,
0: so. Sadly, um at this this is we lose Jason Lee here because he gets killed by one of the worms, which I feel his loss in the movie, honestly, because he he is kind of a I, I think I liked his character the most, even though he's a little bit annoying with all of his catchphrases and ninjokes. jokes, but I feel the movie loses something when it loses him. Like Tim, t- Timothy Oliphant, who cares? Kill him. But I do feel the loss of Jason Lee. No,
2: I, I think I, I feel the loss of Jason Lee as well, because even the little kid version of Jason Lee, like he has heart. Like he's like when yeah. when when they're like with 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 the bully, like Jason Lee's like, let's kick their asses. Like he's not letting it go. Remember, because he's like, you know, guys,
0: he should have been the he should have been the main character. And then at the end of the movie, he should have like stabbed Mr. Gray in the eye with like a toothpick. And then we could have seen all along why he held on to those toothpicks. (laughs) And then
2: it wouldn't have been a ten-pole trauma if it would have had that ending. Like, it it wouldn't be People would have
0: flocked to the movie if it had that in it.
2: Yeah, I I was sad with Jason Lee's loss as well. And I actually, I mean, I give a shit when when Timothy Elephant goes, too. I wasn't ready to to lose him.
0: Eh, if he's not a cowboy, I don't care about him. (laughs) So we can't go any further without talking about Morgan Freeman and his magical prosthetic eyebrows, or maybe they're not his, but maybe those are his real eyebrows. I think they're fake eyebrows. Maybe you just grew them out for this. (laughs) I'm getting crazy eyebrows in my old age and I'm telling you they can happen.
1: So you're going to look like, I forget from David Lynch's Dune. I just feel like there was one of those Yeah, I'm going to look like Pytard Pytard (laughs)
0: DeVries, the Mentat. Um, that's a little Dune humor for you folks. But um, yeah, uh, this whole part of the movie, and we can just kind of like talk about it in a big lump because I don't feel it's worth discussing too much. But this whole element of the movie, i can't, it's really hard for me to focus on. First of all, it seems like Stephen King doing a drugged out take on Tom Clancy, you know, because it's like... <laughs> It's this. I feel like he was like, ah, they're, my main competition. Dumb Glancy. Well, Clancy, <laughs> I'm gonna outdo. I'm gonna outdo you at your own game with my character Morgan Freeman. I don't even know his name, and but it's just friggin' Morgan Freeman. Now, I do enjoy watching Morgan Freeman chew scenery, which he does pretty uh, uh, ably in this movie. But it's this whole strange thing where. He's this military man who's been hunting these aliens for like 25 years and and managed to keep this all under the radar. Even though they have these missions where they go with Apache helicopters and (laughs) blow up alien spaceships that are just like crash landed out in the wilds of Maine. Maine's pretty big, but I don't know if that would go unnoticed for, for long. For 25 years but um this there's this whole weird thing where he's i guess he's trying to groom tom sizemore to take over the battle of the alien of the aliens but tom sizemore sort of knows that morgan freeman's crazy um and jen and i were really having trouble tracking did you josh did you Get Tom Sizemore has like a picture that he's carrying around. Did you? Did you even notice this? I've already forgotten the picture. It's really hard to pay attention to this. I don't. We. I'm not even sure, Jen. Did we even? Well, after watching it two times, no, we didn't figure out what it we is. We
2: didn't figure it out, and we didn't care enough to try to no. figure it out. I'm What's pretty, it pretty like sure about it's his just like, his
0: family, dad, and,
2: or something. It's not <laughs> made trying
0: clear to to at all.
2: Do
1: right by his. Family legacy. I'm just making this up. I don't know yeah, what yeah. it might be. Seth thought
2: maybe Your it was his family, as as like what's his in wife there. and kid in him or something. I don't know. Yeah, I just, like, he just keeps looking at this picture.
0: The only reason why it matters is because later Thomas Jane ends up in their, uh, you know, concentration camp quarantine area and he gets into Tom Sizemore's head, you know, sort of psychically. And he's like, you know, he's crazy, right? And like, is this what so-and-so would want you to do? And he he drops a name. And I'm assuming that the name Thomas Jane drops is the person in the picture that Tom Sizemore is carrying around. No one cares. I don't care. (laughs) You guys don't care. But it was just one thing that, even having seen this movie this many times, I have not been able to figure out what the hell is going on there.
2: There's so many half-baked ideas that are just like just not flushed out at all. Even the, the, the scene and not to jump ahead, but the, the, the scene that you were referring to with, uh, to- the Toms, it's like, it's so not like, I mean, look, you don't have to spell things out, but it's just like, it, it's, it's just really like he's doing some Jedi mind tricks really quick. And then all of a sudden, like Tom Sizemore's like, okay, well, I'm, I'm whatever you say, Thomas. i to ruin
0: my whole career. <laughs> right. I'm going to turn on Morgan Freeman. I'm going to get you out of here. We're going to trick him. And st- it's just really... It happens
2: fast. Well, I'm
0: glad you already mentioned
1: his eyebrows, though, because I was thinking, like, again, the one the one thing I do enjoy about this movie is the, just the insane choices, which the movie can't even really take too much credit for because so much of it from the book. But I think they can take credit for his eyebrows because, like, why, why does he have crazy eyebrows? Like, it doesn't... It doesn't imply anything or add anything other than the visual that Morgan Freeman has crazy eyebrows, but I just feel those were the decisions they were making across the board for everything. (laughs) We can't just have Morgan Freeman in a military crew cut. Maybe it was Morgan Freeman's eye. Maybe he was pulling like a Johnny Depp or Tom Hardy, (laughs) where he's like, how can I make this character weirder?
0: Well, I remember seeing... Whatever promotional materials or reviews or whatever, when the movie came out, it would always be a picture of Morgan Freeman <laughs> with his eyebrows. So they, even the press latched onto that weird visual. Um, So I don't know. Maybe they were onto something. It's one of the most memorable things about the movie.
2: Well, also a a little bit too, which I was trying to wrap my head around was I was trying to remember, I was like something strange with Tom Sizemore's hair. Well,
0: he just, he's got a bad comb. Oh, he's got a bad comb forward with hair dye. And he's, it looks like he's got probably a rug covering up his bald spot. It's just clearly hair. They're trying to fix his hair. It's
2: fine. It just was something that I was like, really like for a while going like, what does his hair normally look like? This doesn't look like.
0: He usually doesn't really have hair, usually. It's usually like a crew cut or yeah, something. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. That's what it was. Because I was like, something's odd with this. This is a choice too. Like the eyebrows were a choice. Yeah. The hair was a choice.
0: This movie is nothing but a series of weird choices, choice. which, <laughs> which Josh has pointed out. I don't know. And you guys have anything else to say about this sort of the military aspect. This of is just not movie? what I
2: signed up for. Yeah, I'm like, it could've
1: worked if that was the movie. Like there's a different right. way to do this entire Story that's more from the military perspective. But I mean, again, much like we we're saying with it and the childhood flashbacks, it's just like it's too much stuff to cram yeah. into this movie, which just leaves it that we don't end up caring about any of the storylines because they don't give them enough uh, love
0: on. We get Jonesy on the move. He grabs a uh, snowmobile and he's got Mr. Gray in him. And he's basically on a mission to end the world, which we will find out he's going to do by uh, putting parasites in the water supply. Thomas Jane leaves, uh, leaves uh, Timothy Oliphant in the snow and there's because they almost crash. And there's this woman in the snow who, who I'm assuming is a hunter who was with the male hunter She was, and they got separated that's the poster or something
1: of the movie yeah. too. Oh,
0: right. Like right. A
1: creepy shot of her, which is a good image of her just sitting with her like parka hood up, like kneeling right. in the middle of the
2: road. And that's the first thing she says is like, I got to get back to Rick. And that's the, yes. that's the hunter, the farty hunter,
0: right? Farty <laughs> hunter. <laughs> So she's uh, so Timothy Oliphant s- stays with her and he go- even goes back to the car and gets all his beers so he can sort of drink all his beers um, next to her. And he sort of has this monologue where he talks about, you know, how that woman didn't go on a date with him and.
1: Real incel talk. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> um, and then we get more fart humor here. She's now farting. And uh, <laughs> she shits out a uh, alien shit weasel. And now it, it, it attacks him, right? Oh, yes.
2: It yeah, attacks him in a big he, way. Like,
1: kind of cleverly is defeating it by jumping onto the fire that they're sitting around. But you right, guys, right, yeah. it
2: almost bites off his dick. That's like the yeah. biggest thing. He I, take- honestly,
1: watching it, I was like. Did it bite off his dick and he's just not reacting appropriately because no, I... his his dick area looks messed up afterwards. But he's he's not reacting as though that is what happened once he's freed himself.
2: As he was I... peeing, his dad, it's his name in the snow. He was spelling. Right. <laughs> is, is that what you guys do in the snow?
0: Yeah, I usually, I pee Josh in the snow (laughs) all the time.
1: Sebastian's name's got too many letters, so. (laughs) Yeah, mine's hard to pee in the snow.
0: Seb. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I don't think he gets his dick bitten off, because like you were saying, that would require a much more extreme (laughs) reaction. But yeah, there is definitely a focus on the private areas in this movie. We, you know. People's butts get assaulted. People's I, I do feel dicks we, get assaulted. They
1: they decided to not leave it to our imagination. I feel like each time we get a shot of their like <laughs> blown out butthole. that yeah. the shit weasel flew out
0: of. I like to think of the makeup person getting to design, <laughs> yeah. design that bloody. I Me, mean, I don't know if it was K and B or whatever, but hey, did you work on that bloody butthole today? <laughs> like, oh yeah, looks good. But yeah, so then Jonesy uh, ends up picking up. Timothy Oliphant, what's his name, Pete. And so he gets him to go on the his, his snowmobile for some reason, but doesn't Pete, Pete can immediately recognize that Jonesy is possessed, right? I think so. Yeah, so it, it's kind of weird, because it's like, why does he get on the snowmobile? Well, he's Jonesy also a little him.
2: drunk, too, at this point. right? Yeah, that's true. He's not
0: just a little drunk. He drank like a ton of those yeah,
2: beers. Yeah, he knocked back a lot of beers. I think- and then he fought a shit weasel. Uh, but also he had, um, uh, Jonesy Mr., slash Mr. Gray had already like started zooming past. Thomas Jane is still trying to make it back to the cabin. So remember he like right. comes, but Thomas Jane's, Jane hears the snowmobile and he was like, yeah. yes, Jonesy. And then he goes, right. You're not Here Jones- they
0: come to save the day. Mighty Mouse. <laughs> like he quotes Mighty Mouse. And he,
2: then he goes, yeah. wait you're not Jonesy and so then like he yeah. jumps like in, you know on the, the, the side snowbank or whatever and he blasts by and picks up Pete so
0: but it's sort of it's sort of the a, a symptom of this movie that things happen and you don't really track how they're happening or why they're happening like you don't track why Pete gets on the the snowmobile with Jonesy especially because it becomes clear very soon that Pete recognizes that Jonesy is possessed And then they get into this argument on the snowmobile and then Jonesy turns into Mr. Gray or something and eats his
1: head off. Yeah.
0: Bites his head off. So it's, it's just a really strangely set up scene because we're losing a major character, but it's done in such a way that it's hard for you to even remember how it happened.
2: The only thing I remember about it is because uh, Pete, says because they're they get in an argument on the snowmobile and pete tells mr gray to bite his bag he's like right. bite my bag and he's like oh i will bite your bag right.
1: and everything <laughs> else
0: or something yeah yeah
1: i was gonna say going back to the idea of like being bummed out they killed jason lee so early on it's also just like because there's this one really random moment and this also goes to the whole i the whole thing with the movie where it's all these like crazy ideas they're just tossing out and maybe there was more of it in the novel and they just didn't do enough of it in the movie. But we're like the whole way, all their powers work as much in the same way. They don't explain that Damian Lewis got hit by the car and that like there was something supernatural about him not dying. They don't explain that till like way later in the movie. Yeah. Uh, and there's this one great random stupid bit that they only do once in the whole movie but where Tom Jane's in the car with Tom Sizemore and kind of like the the humor of the idea is that Tom Sizemore's going out on a limb, trusting this guy because of whatever he said about this photo that we can't remember the relevance yeah. of. But Tom Jane also seems crazy. And there's a part where he takes the gun that he has yes. and uses it as a telephone.
0: Yeah. And he's like, Jonesy,
1: yeah. is that you? And he's Jonesy? talking to Jonesy hiding in his memory warehouse Yes. And they only do that type of bit that one time in the whole movie, but I'm also like, well that's like that's fun. Like I kind of uh-huh. see how you could have like there's a more interesting version of this movie I feel where they don't all just keep dying like a slasher movie till there's really only Tom Jane left. Right. Teaming up with the military which we just talked about we don't care about their storyline. Um yeah. but I don't know. Like I don't make that movie would have been equally nonsensical and bizarre, but I'm also just like, well, that's like fun though. Seeing these guys like use their superpowers in ways they've never had to. Cause I like that idea on paper that like they have these superpowers, but they also have kind of mundane lives. Cause it's just like, what do they do with the powers? Like they're not fighting crime or anything. Right. So it's kind of fun to see like the gun, bit, just like the ways that they're incorporating everyday life into I guess the way I interpret that too was the idea that for some reason Jonesy's reaching out to him with the idea of a phone and yes. he kind of couldn't get their powers to work unless he's also pretending to use a phone like yeah. little kids using like a tin can yeah. and I'm like that's fun right. more of this stuff yeah. like that's that's an interesting way to tie it in to the Stand by Me movie this movie failed to establish in any way.
0: Yeah, that's that's actually kind of my favorite part of the movie when Thomas Jane. I know I gave Thomas Jane a hard time, but <laughs> I do I do enjoy when he has these sort of gleefully weird moments of mania. It just doesn't fit with his character. Like he, they've set him up as the character that's the straight guy, and then he ends up kind of being the weird guy. Well,
1: and that's also know. the problem I think with Tom Jane's whole career is he feels like one of those guys who suffered from how, like, leading man handsome he is, but he's yeah. like clearly he just wants to be a fu- he wants to be Warren Oates, like he just wants to be right. some weird character, a that weirdo character. that's like like yeah. you guys saw nineteen. 19- 20 wait what's that Stephen King adaptation he 11, did recently no, no no it's uh it's just, it's like 1926 or anyway it's on Netflix yeah we haven't seen it yet uh it's okay it's very short filmy or short story as a film but like mm-hmm. his performance in that is so greasy and strange but like this was a movie I think he helped get made and that really shows where like his brain is at for what his, he wanted his career and wants it to be or him and the, yeah. him and the predator. Uh,
0: right.
1: Another, he's like, I just want to be the fucking weirdo. I don't want to be the boring, handsome lead.
0: It's hard not to compare Thomas Jane, especially at this time to Aaron Eckhart. They sort yes. of existed in the same casting space. You could tell they were probably up for the same roles, but Aaron Eckhart. I think was striving for a more traditional leading man type of image whereas Thomas Jane as you were saying was seeking out stranger parts and you know as a result I think he ends up being the more interesting actor unfortunately neither of them truly ascended to the kind of leading man status you would hope one of them would have ascended to, especially after the dark knight after Aaron Eckhart didn't get to the a-list after that i thought for sure he was gonna be the guy
1: yeah i've heard he's an asshole i don't know if that's oh that
0: might have i don't know if that's do
1: accurate that's not like insider info I like heard no, that no, I from a friend who worked from it with him or something but like yeah that's just the the vibe i get from the way the internet talks about him
0: yeah, I bet Thomas Jane is not an asshole. I bet he's a fun guy, but I know he had personal problems. Yeah,
1: I think he's more like a weirdo, but I don't think he's a dick. I think he's just yeah. very strange.
2: I was reading the trivia for this and uh, for the film, and it was saying that the reason that he did this movie is because his mom was a huge Stephen King fan, which I thought was sweet. <laughs>
1: oh, nice. <laughs> and now I well, feel now like he's, he's done so. Yeah, he's very in on Stephen King at this point. I maybe because of that, he's just maybe. trying to make his mom happy.
0: Well, in a way, he fits in well with the Stephen King thing, because Stephen King writes these sort of characters, you know, he, he intentionally writes them in a way where you he doesn't give a lot of physical description. They're just sort of these generic leads. But in King's mind, they're all sort of versions of him. So I think Thomas Jane, because he has that quirky element to him, but he's traditionally handsome, does make a good King foible, because he's got you know, he's got personality, but at the same time, he's kind of a perfect ciphery type blank slate looking. I dude.
1: think he would have been, especially at that point in his career, I kind of wish he'd been in the Mick Garris, The Shining. Right. Uh, I really like Steven Weber, but to me, Stephen Weber's just so inherently funny. Like, I just I don't know. I have a hard time taking him serious in any kind of dramatic
2: role.
0: Don't get Jen started on Steven Weber. She went on a whole Steven <laughs> Weber rant last time.
2: You know he's probably a really nice man, but for some reason he plays an ass in a lot of stuff. And it's like I just—I mean, maybe—I mean, maybe he's funny in things too. But like a lot of things I've seen him in, he's always kind of a dick in, in the roles. And so it's like I just—yeah, I'm like—I
1: uh, haven't listened to it, but I've—I've I've heard from like at least a dozen people that his. Audiobook for it is like next level. Great. I don't
0: know if I could listen to 15 days worth of Steve. Like I thought you were about though. to say
1: 15 hours and I was like, Oh no, no, that is an incorrect small number of hours.
2: I have nothing against Stephen Weber as a person. I don't know him. I'm just saying.
0: You've been sending him mean <laughs> tweets. Tweets? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're harassing poor um, Stephen Weber. I'm
2: online Weber on bullying Twitter. Stephen Weber. Yeah. <laughs> and it
0: stops now. Anyway, what this is all basically leading to is uh Thomas Jane and Tom Sizemore the Toms are rushing to get uh Duttitz back in the game. And Duditz is now i don't know in his 30s or something he is suffering from what seems to be a horrible case of cancer
2: leukemia
0: and leukemia and he is played by donnie Wahlberg in what arguably is one of the most sensitive portrayals of a mentally handicapped person (laughs) i have ever
1: seen Uh, and it's it's also donnie Wahlberg. it's funny because this is several years later but it almost seems like he made this movie immediately after he lost like 30 pounds for um uh the sixth sense like Uh uh-huh he does not look like i'll at least give him that he does not look like donnie Wahlberg in any way that i ever imagine him but yeah uh it's also uh yeah this is like uh wait what was damon wayans now very unwoke handyman Handyman, like I feel like this is handyman or yeah, handyman or blank man, or
2: is that the same oh thing? handy well, handyman was from a living color, and that's really not aged well, but that was, yeah, I don't know if but I don't he, know what blank man was that might have been
1: like a movie version of handyman,
2: yeah that didn't, age, didn't age well,
1: I feel like he also made a superhero comedy where he was he was uh, mentally challenged, um but anyway that's that's what this. It's trying to go for earnest, heartwarming seriousness, but it felt like handyman to me.
0: Yeah. No, that's the that's the thing that's sort of so unnerving about it is you don't get the sense that they're trying to make this funny, but it's just so over the top. Um, You know, he has all these sayings that he reiterates and in this broken English, which is really hard to sort of understand the logic behind because he goes Ubi Ubi ooh for Scooby-Doo. It's like, he can't say consonants or something. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not sure what it is that he can't pronounce, but he loves Scooby-Doo, which I totally relate to. Uh, Scooby-Doo was possibly the first piece of pop culture that I remember liking. I was obsessed with Scooby-Doo when I was like four years old, and some of my earliest memories of television are sitting in front of the TV on Saturday mornings watching Scooby Doo religiously. So I get it; like, I get why I love Scooby Doo. I like the Scooby Doo references. I like that his mom packs his like cancer medicine or something yeah, in his Scooby Doo yeah. lunchbox. Uh, he's wearing a lot of Red Sox gear. Um, as somebody from Boston, I, I can kind of get down with that too. It's definitely the element of the story that pushes this movie, I think, over the top into this is a fucking either train wreck in your mind or it's one of the most incredible things you've ever seen because, you know, I mean, all it's all been pretty insane. But then to get this character as an adult late in the game played this way it's just your your mind is blown at this point I think once he shows up
2: I love the character of Deditz. i, I I'm so endeared by him and protective of him and it's like I feel like in literature he can live there safely
0: mm-hmm.
2: he can't he can't be on the big screen unless <laughs> no. unless you're going to have someone that has like a development uh disability yeah. like playing him because it's like even though I'm not even faulting Donnie Wahlberg because I feel like he's doing the best he can, but it's like, it's just like, it's always so uncomfortable. Like when any actor that's not having a development disorder or disability, sorry, it's just like, it's, it feels like you're doing a caricature of someone. And it's just like, it just, it just doesn't doesn't work.
1: It is hard to accept. I mean, I know it's the fact, but like the idea that this isn't, supposed to be funny it's very weird when you're watching it because it's so it's the same as they would have done in a comedy basically yeah i mean it's it's it is more understated but it's not that far off i think of like the classic south park episode which is supposed to be offensive where cartman decides to pretend that he's uh mentally handicapped so that he can win the special olympics and there's yeah. like that whole scene where he's like perfecting his like mentally challenged person impression. I'm just like, that's that's essentially what's happening here. Really. Or like
0: Simple Jack in Tropic yeah, Thunder, yeah, which again is know? a
2: joke. Like they're right. Simple Jack is making fun of you know normally abled actors doing this.
0: Yeah. Yes. Well, I think this was. I think this was maybe not this movie. I'm sure there were other movies after this that went back to this well but I feel like this was around the time when this was the tipping point for that sort of thing at cinephile to bring it back to cinephile we had a section that paid homage to uh non uh developmentally challenged people playing challenged people I won't say the title of the section because it is probably offensive I
1: (laughs) I did not not come up
0: with it uh but you know I feel like this was the point Where that became unacceptable. I think if they were to make this, try to make this again, which they won't, but if they ever did, I think they would get a real, you know, mentally challenged actor to do it. I mean, we're seeing that more and more, which is great. Um, As they should. Right, and they need representation too, so... But yeah, this seems like a uncomfortable reminder of uh, time in Hollywood that we probably mostly want to forget at this
1: it point. Also, though, I agree with everything you just said, but I also feel like this falls into a trope that, and not to harp on King for it, because he's not like he's the only one who does it, um, but it's like in the, much in the same way as like the magical Negro yes. uh, trope there's the like magical handicapped person trope of which the green mile does both. (laughs) Um, He doubles up on it. Uh, It's just, it, it's so weird. Once you get to the payoff, it's like the opposite of the sixth sense where once they reveal what's been going on the whole time, rather than the whole movie clicking the place in an interesting way, I was instantly just like, wait, what? Like, Dunitz was an alien and right. this alien's been like, you know, undercover for decades, but also was had leukemia and he was just going to die without achieving his, like, can't he get a new body? Like, I just didn't understand what the mythology was happening here and why was he mentally challenged? Like, I, none of that made any sense to me for what this a, alien's undercover job was was it really just seemed like he was destined to fail based (laughs) on what the limitations they gave this guy's mission
0: yeah okay so let's just take us through this last (laughs) this the the climax at the quabbin reservoir first of all first of all i love that it's taking place at the quabbin reservoir (laughs) uh it's a real place. I've not been to the Quabbin Reservoir, but it is a real place. So Jonesy has infected a German Shepherd. He's 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 very conveniently uh, r- has run into a military truck or something that's full of dead bodies. Yes, they, right? they're from happens? the
2: the con- they're taking the contaminated bodies of animals right. and people, and it looks like some aliens are in there too, like all in the back of this right. truck. <laughs> conveniently because you know
0: that's what you do with your alien corpses you just throw them in a big truck full of dead dogs and stuff but anyway (laughs) he so he he stops this truck he takes he has a german shepherd with him and he has the german shepherd eat some of the dead bodies that well he kills he
2: he kills the driver so he like flags down the the driver he uh i think a snowmobile crashes or something he flags down the driver kills him takes his dog, and then he's like, oh, whatever the dog, good doggy, like, eat your fill. And he has them, like, chowing down on these body parts in the back of the truck that are contaminated.
0: And so the, do- the dog is now, I guess, uh, infested with alien worms or something. And so Jonesy's plan is he's going to take this uh, worm-infested dog to a reservoir and put some of the worms in the drinking water, the water supply, And then Boston will drink alien worms, and the invasion will commence in a manner that will end all of mankind eventually. So Sizemore and Jane are rushing to—because they figured out that they're going to the Quabbin because of the phone call on the the, the gun between Jonesy and Thomas Jane— so it turns into this showdown at this reservoir. It's really strange because the movie has sort of set up this idea that there's this big alien invasion. And as a moviegoer, you're sort of programmed to think, oh, this is all going to end up in some big battle. But really, that doesn't happen. It really comes down to this really small confrontation at a like reservoir. Like a reservoir-like way station or something.
1: Maintenance room. <laughs> like this like right. little tiny... Right. It's really
0: hard for me to think of what the, you know, slug line was on the script, like (laughs) interior reservoir maintenance room. Yeah, fine. That's what it is. Um, You know, it's this race to this reservoir maintenance room. And meanwhile, Freeman has gone rogue. He's stolen his own Apache helicopter. And so they have this showdown, Sizemore and Freeman have this showdown where Mar- where Morgan Freeman is shooting at Sizemore from the helicopter, and Sizemore is shooting at him from the ground. And they both basically shoot each other and kill each other. Freeman's helicopter goes flying off and explodes. And that's how that is all resolved. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all resolved in its own little section. They don't even, it's not even intercut. It's just like, okay, that happens, so we can get rid of that whole plot. There you go. They killed each other. The end. Consistent
2: and, with the, the film. This is like right. far it, for the course. It's <laughs> like you could
0: almost completely surgically remove uh, almost everything of that. If you could somehow get Thomas Jane to the reservoir without Tom Sizemore, you could take it all out and it wouldn't matter at all. And so then our second climax happens in the the maintenance room. This is where we get Mr. Gay, go away which, you know, is the the big tagline of the film because because uh, Duddits can't properly pronounce Mr. Gray, he calls him Mr. Gay, <laughs> which seems like a gay joke. I mean, is it a gay joke? I don't is know, because it- in
1: that Stand By Me past the first time, because that's like a big mind-blowing moment, or it's supposed to be, but it's not, uh, is when... They realized that it throughout their childhood he'd been saying Mr. Gray, but they think yeah. he's saying mystery, even though it doesn't sound at all like he's saying mystery, because he's saying Mr. Gay.
0: Yeah. Like,
1: yeah, you're right. It is a mystery, Duddits.
2: <laughs> well, he says it to uh to Jonesy also too when when Jonesy's in the ambulance. That's like a flashback yes. too, where he go he zooms in, he's like Watch, yeah.
0: out for watch out for mr yeah. gay yes
2: yeah and then he says it when they're looking for um the girl that they save that you had talked about earlier when they're when he yes. gets his swirly finger thing because he says we need to find a girl and and Dedet says we need to save the world and they're like no we'll right. save the world another time Duddit. So we got to find this girl it's like-
0: <laughs> all of this is bad like <laughs> this is the you're not like oh that's what he meant you know, when when it's finally revealed what Duddits was really trying to say, your mind is not blown. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, what? Like, <laughs> why are you having? These poor actors say, Mr. Gay. Well,
2: that's what Josh had said. It's like, it's not the sixth sense where everything clicks and you're like, whoa, no. the
0: opposite. Oh, Mr. Gay was Mr. Gray.
2: <laughs> it's just no, it's not. You're
0: literally left scratching your head, wondering whose idea that was and why they didn't re- reconsider this in some way. But so, yeah, Dudit uh, appears and he says... Um, ooby dooby doo. Uh, We got some work to do now. Mr. Gray emerges from uh, Jonesy and becomes the horrible CG entity that we saw earlier. And then, okay, so (laughs) Duddits says, "Mr. Gay, go away." He goes up to Mr. Gay, and then Mr. Gay has suddenly has this like tail with a crab claw at the end of it, and he stabs it into Duddits. And we're like, no, (laughs) Duddits. But then Duddits turns into this other alien, as Josh mentioned, which looks kind of like
2: shit. God, he looks like shit.
0: He yeah, he kind of does look like He looks like, like a, a
2: big he, sh- pile of shit. He turd. looks like
0: he looks like one of the Star Wars aliens that would have been in like Jabba's palace but would have been like
2: way, way in the, the back.
0: background.
1: It was like, like just it looked like a top. teriyaki
0: stick or something.
1: Some like leftover thing one of the effects companies <laughs> yeah, had yeah, yeah, that they yeah. needed to bring in.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, so he but he's CG and he yeah, he becomes this sort of brown CG alien. And then he infects Mister Gay, and then they explode into red mist. Right? Is that yeah, am I, pretty much. Um, yeah. It's
2: like like a bubble encases them, and then there's like the red stuff everywhere. And I, uh, I don't know. He's yeah. Right.
0: So Mister Gay is defeated, and there's this one last little worm crawling towards the the water, the reservoir water and Jonesy who has now regained his the control of his body crushes it with his finger and uh, with his his boot and then it's like Thomas Jane and Damian Lewis look at each other and smile and that's it the end and and then we get this one little moment of them all together, like a flashback of them hanging out together as the it's credits like a, a, roll, like a
2: big chill moment.
0: To a really bad score by James Newton Howard. That's another thing I wanted to bring up is that James Newton Howard Howard score in this is terrible. It's really <laughs> bad. It's not suspenseful. It's kind of trying to be electronic-y sounding but it sounds like 5 years too late for what it's trying to do. It's bad. I'm <laughs> I'm I'm not really a James Newton Howard fan anyway, but this is this is some of his worst work. But um anyway, so what are your thoughts on the thrilling conclusion of this movie, Josh?
1: I mean, it's fitting in that the whole movie just feels like it's it's like only making left turns, you know, it's not Yeah. It, the story is moving forward, but it it never quite feels like it was appropriately setting up anything that was going to happen next. And then the yeah. fact that, yeah, that we only get adult dunnits, I feel, for like seven minutes of movie, and then he turns into a big alien, and they don't even really fight, as you were noting. He's just kind of, yeah. the bad alien stabs him, which I guess was his plan. So now they're like stuck together. And There's a sort of similar...
0: Home. There's a similar scene in the Matrix Revolutions or something where like Neo and Agent Smith basically cancel each other out because they're like putting their energy into each other or something. I feel like that was a thing at the time. So, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's just it's really vague as to what's happening. It's
1: it does not like wait. I'm trying to remember like Duditz has his big. He like pumps his fists. I um, did it. Yes. Yes. What does he say there? Do you remember? I Dudits. It's I Dudits. I Dudits. Oh, I Dudits.
0: Which I think would be a great name for a Eugene O'Neill play. (laughs) I Dudits. Or or
1: or some sort of like punk band. (laughs) Yeah. You can always feel when the movie thinks like this is what's gonna get the audience to lose their shit. Like this is at the end of Infinity War. Or no of Endgame when (laughs) when robert downey jr is like i am iron man and the audience lost their (laughs) mind it's like that's what they thought was gonna happen which goes back to everything we were saying though of like they just you don't care about their relationship to duditz or any of the past stuff we've only had donnie Wahlberg for like two seconds in this movie up until this point his his triumphant i thought it's (laughs) only gonna elicit a laugh like yeah I mean, there's no way to fix... This wouldn't have fixed the movie, but I almost feel like if I was Loris Kansas and watching the, like, cuts of this movie, I'd have just been like, let's just lose that. Like, he just turns into an alien and whatever. Like...
0: Yeah. I don't know, though. I'm glad it's there because it's just... Well, yeah, because just... the movie's
1: hilarious. For us, the viewer who, who suffers through it. I mean, I do kind of love it in the same way. Speaking of Wahlbergs, I love, like, The Happening. Oh, yeah. Because it's just... It's so much again, all this money being spent for these like sub Corman level, just like the kind of ideas you put in a movie where you don't have money, because you're yeah. like, all this movie's gonna have going for it is is the idea that it's so conceptually outrageous that maybe that's what'll hook you, you know? Yeah. That's why I was thinking of like Hen and Lauder and like Frankenhooker and the uh, sequels to Basket Case and stuff. Where yeah. just, is it brain damage? Has, uh,
2: like the worm thing, is that brain damage?
1: Yeah. I, I love that movie, but it's strange to see that funneled through the A-list Hollywood system, you know?
2: The end of the movie is just like, it's perfect for this movie. Like, it's <laughs> just, you know what I mean? It's just like, that's that's where like I said, you, you lost me back at the cabin when, when, when Unsolved lost Mr. you
1: with the Carl's junior <laughs> references in the opening scene.
2: No, I mean, I was still, I was with it for a while, but yeah, it's like, you know, uh, there's just there's a lot there. It, and, and the, the abruptness of the ending, I think might be one of the worst, like, like just go to black, like I've ever seen. <laughs> and I don't even remember like after watching this, Twice did I mention we watched it twice in a couple of days? I don't even remember the score. Yeah, I don't remember it either.
0: It's unmemorable, but it's also bad. If you do pay <laughs> attention to it, you'll you'll notice it's bad.
2: But in my mind, and this is after two recent viewings, the screen go, You know, like it, it, we get uh, Jonesy and Thomas Jane like give each other a look. You know, and then we go mm-hmm. to black. And then we go to the the guys around the table, and in my mind, and I think it's because it's Laura's, Lawrence Lawrence and I, I'm thinking of the Big Chill. I hear Jeremiah was a bullfrog, and I see uh-huh. like, and I see them like around the table. Jeremiah was a bullfrog, and they're around the table. That's what I. That's what. That's how it played out in my head. And I just don't care. And I. It wanted, definitely wouldn't and, have
0: made it worse. I, you know,
2: <laughs> but I wanted I wanted to care. Like I said, I I I do like these guys. I really do. I like their friendship and I think that they're good dudes. And I just wish that we got to spend more time with them. Um, I wish they would have had their own film. Like we've discussed like its style, because I did not sign up for these ridiculous alien character and the Tom Clancy ness. I don't want to watch that.
1: <laughs> I feel like, cause the movie's not dramatic. You don't, you don't care about anything that's happening. And in that kind of a movie, I get that that's not what they're going for. They wanted it to be dramatic. I think of movie's like like Tremors knew what it was, and in yeah. Tremors, you wanted there to be death, but you didn't actually want any of the characters to die because the movie's fun and you like it. like that movie has like nine characters, and none of them die, which is weird yeah. for a horror movie, but it's great. Like I would have preferred that none of our four guys died. like they may they all have this fun adventure and succeed in the end. like it did not yeah. That didn't help with the movie in any way. No, the
0: deaths weren't, they didn't hit you like, oh, God, that hurt. It really hurt to lose Pete. Yeah. (laughs) It only hurts to lose uh, Jason Lee because he's such a breath of life in the movie. But, Jen, try to remove the fact that we watched this twice in a row and it really, you know, soured you on the movie. You do like this movie, though, right?
2: I'm not soured on the movie. I do like this. And as a matter of fact, I'm sure... With a little bit of time, I'll watch it again. And as a matter yeah. of fact, because of Josh, I may even listen to Dreamcatcher. I maybe mm. maybe I'll add that to my Audible collection because you know, there's I don't know. I want to know more. I want to know like what I mean. I know the book is crazy, and I know what you're saying that that King has disowned it, but. I need to know more. I need to go deeper into Dreamcatcher. I was trying
1: to remember. I feel like I don't think we ever gave it serious consideration, but now I don't remember why, if it was maybe the length, but I feel like at some point we tossed out the idea of showing this at Friday night frights.
0: Yeah. Back in the day. We definitely did
1: purely because like, this is a perfect, like this is a perfect movie to show. It was a failure as a new movie that yeah. wanted to present itself as like a quality film. It's like the perfect kind of fun audience, bad movie though. Yes. Cause it's very high production values starring all these actors you either like, or at least recognize it is long but like the pacing it's like it's not like Yeah, the pacing boring. is pretty
0: good. The only parts that drag are when we get to the Morgan Freeman military stuff. And there's like a big chunk of that that ha- like sits right in the middle of the movie and it goes on for like 15 minutes where yeah. you don't leave the military base and you're so desperate to get back to Jonesy or whoever. But that's the only part of the movie that I think is not entertaining. The rest of it is entertaining. If you like bad movies and you like the, the sort of, uh, you know, psychotronic weird weirdness, you know, so bad <laughs> it's good, whatever you want to call it. Like, I think it's pretty unstoppable on that level.
2: I think the military base is just the hardest, what
0: po- kills it,
2: what kills it for me. Like, and, and because yeah. it's long and because that happens, like I really like the first time I started to watch it, I kind of started to dose and I had to like snap my head, snap myself out of it or get some sugar or something. Cause it's just boring for me, and I want to get away from there.
0: I feel like if you could have somehow cut that out of the movie, like I said, you could, you'd could you at least walk away with a near-perfect insane movie. Yeah. It's the only thing that's weighing it down. But, I mean, yeah, overall, I still have affection in my heart for Dreamcatcher. I have some nostalgia for it just because, you know, I w- was working at Cinephile and it was it was basically declared the holy grail of holy fucking shit movies. (laughs) We could talk about why we think it failed. uh, But I think that's pretty
1: obvious (laughs) yeah.
0: (laughs) because this movie was made for no one. It wasn't really made for horror fans because there's not really enough horror. Although the, the shit worm body horror stuff is kind of satisfying. It's definitely
1: not scary. Not at all. It just Not has monsters, it has creatures in it. Like right. that's, and the shoot weasel, like that, that the one that we talk about, the, the scene where the hunter gets there and it's like gross is at least like there's some tension there, but the tension's also very much undercut by the nonstop farting. Uh,
0: <laughs> well, I feel like uh cabin fever did that idea better, you know, like gross stuff at a cabin. And just keep it at the cabin. But, you know, this this movie is so strange in that it touches on all these sort of different sub-genres and doesn't really nail any of them. But, I mean, if you're a sci-fi fan, I don't think you're going to be satisfied by it because the mythology no, makes no friggin' terrible. sense. So you're you're not going to be into that. There's not really enough spectacle to really satisfy you if that's what you're after. The cast is fun, but not that fun. If you're a Stephen King fan, this isn't going to be one of the stories that you're itching to see.
1: I I just feel bad because, you know, inevitably, just laws of statistics. There are people out there who saw this before it or stand by me. So then when they finally saw it, they're like, oh, this is just like Dreamcatcher.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: (laughs) No, you're right. You're totally right. Yeah.
0: Well, thankfully, I think that percentage, though, is probably pretty small. Yeah, the movie did bomb,
1: so... Actually, you know what? The movie didn't even really bomb, like, as far as, like, the number of people who saw it. That's the crazy thing. A lot of people saw it. It was just so expensive, you know? Like, if this movie had cost $15 million, it would have been a hit.
0: Well, and if this movie had been a hit, like, that could have sort of changed the trajectory of a lot of horror movies of that time, because I remember... Um, and I'm sure uh, did the greatest movie never made cover uh, the del Toro at the Mount, mountains yeah. of madness. You guys did that, right? Yep. Yes. So it's like, like that, if this had been a hit, that probably would have happened because there are so many sort of similar elements. Yeah. But um, I remember specifically being a horror fan at this time, there was sort of a promise of big budget horror happening and these expensive horror movies just kept yeah. failing.
1: The failure of movies like this is entirely why we're kind of stuck in the Blumhouse budget model. And I know this from a behind the camera thing too, of trying to just get any sort of, even like a $10 million horror movie, which is like, that's a very cheap movie by industry standards, but it's like, because Blumhouse has had so much success with the $5 million movie model. Yeah. It it is. If you're James Wan, you can do it with like the conjuring, yeah. Um I'm not entirely sure. I'm I'm surprised even a Quiet Place got made. And even that's not an expensive movie. It's just you couldn't have done you can't really do creature movies with five million dollars, which is someone who loves monster movies is a real bummer about the phase we're in currently. So I wish this yeah. had done well as I guess i say we maybe could have continued getting more like A list uh horror movies.
2: I just don't understand why this, I mean, why this film costs so much to me. I don't
1: know. Nothing about it. Again, they. I feel like you look at the cast. Greg, you look at the cast in 2020, it's like, ah, yes, all these notable actors. But it's like they weren't, they were like up and comers at the time. It's really just Freeman. And I guess Sizemore, like he, he did pretty well in the 90s. But again, he's still just a character actor. Yeah. It's like, ah, oh, yeah, the guy from Saving Private Ryan and Natural Born Killers and stuff, but uh, and the it has effects, but I don't know. Like, I I still don't. it, it is hard to tell where the money went unless they pilled, paid William Goldman like ten million dollars to write it, which I hope they didn't, because. He did not solve any problems.
0: There are just those movies, though, that are inexplicably expensive. Like I'm sure you've heard of Town and Country, the oh yeah, the Warren Beatty movie that somehow costs ninety million dollars, and it's just like people talking yeah. in a uh, <laughs> like apartment. <laughs> so you know that shit happens. But I don't know. I mean, you guys have anything else to say about Dreamcatcher or if we said all there is to say Only
1: that I'm glad we did touch on the fact that there is a part of me that loves it. Like it's a bad movie uh, and I feel bad that you had to watch it twice in a row, but I very much enjoyed rewatching it again. But after a long time where I'd forgotten a lot of the movie,
0: it's a once every 10 year treat. Like, you know, once every 10 years, throw on Dreamcatcher.
1: And I do think it would be a lot of fun. It's a perfect, like, either in the theater or just some friends over drinking beer kind of nonsense movie.
0: If that sort of thing is ever allowed to happen again. again.
1: yeah.
0: (laughs) If if we can ever hang out with people ever again, definitely get together with some friends and watch Dreamcatcher.
2: And yes, just to reiterate, I do love it as well. I just I just need some distance. (laughs) yeah yeah
0: Yeah, like all
1: things it's like when you have like you know a lot of pizza and you're like that was great but i probably shouldn't have pizza again for like three weeks
0: right and this is like eating a ton of like taco bell taco bell and (laughs) lil caesar's yeah oh
2: god (laughs) lil lil
0: all right guys well i want to thank you for being here to discuss this jennifer thank you thank you so much Josh, thank you so much for joining pleasure. us. Woo! Yeah, I'm gonna go have myself a fuckery and tell Mister Gay to go away.
1: <laughs> I did it.
0: That about does it today for Tentpole Trauma. If you like what you heard check out our social media presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just look for Tentpole Trauma. That was easy, wasn't it? If you like us, hit subscribe and leave us a sterling review on iTunes, if you dare. If you really like us, head over to Patreon.com and get involved in one of our fabulous tiers. You'll be glad you did. Want to communicate with Tentpole Trauma? send an email to tentpoltrauma at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And who knows, one day you may even get your email read on one of our shows. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you real soon.